0: and welcome to mini episode 65 of real life ghost stories
1: how you do
0: just to let you know before we start the final story from today's episode is from the 13th of june 2020 and i have got five listener stories for you today are you ready
1: nope never ready
0: and story number one comes from jordan these stories are not mine but they're too creepy not to tell The first story was during a time my dad's mom was going through a divorce and she'd been living in her home for around 18 years. They had never had any kind of hauntings in the home up until this point. I even spent the night there on multiple occasions and never got the creeps beyond walking past the basement, but that was just because it was super dark. About a week before finding out her husband had been cheating on her, she heard a voice in the basement say, Hello. Really long and drawn out. It creeped her out, but she thought nothing of it. About a month after kicking my granddad out, her and my aunt were standing in the kitchen and she heard the same voice say, Hello. This time she yelled, Who's there? The voice responded and said, It's me. She asked, Who's me? And it didn't respond, and she never heard the voice again. Another story happened around the time my mom's mom was getting a divorce. My aunt Lindsay, who was the same age as me, and my cousin Savannah, who was two years younger, were in the kitchen baking some brownies for a late night snack. It was in the later evening at around eleven, and they were both completely awake. My aunt was eleven and my cousin was nine. As my aunt was plating up some freshly baked brownies on the table, she heard my youngest cousin Ethan coming up the stairs. Lindsay noticed that he looked a bit off while walking, so she called out to him. He didn't respond, and upon closer inspection she realised his skin was as white as snow and ashy. And then he turned to look at her and she realised that his eyes were completely black, just black holes in the place of eyes. She called to Savannah and told her to look through the window from the kitchen to the living room to see if Ethan was there and she said that he wasn't. They both screamed their way to the living room downstairs and asked Ethan if he had just been upstairs to which he replied, No, I've been watching TV down here. You could possibly blame grief for these stories or even overactive imaginations but with both stories there are two people seeing or hearing the same thing.
1: Jordan is dead right with the last point about it being the the interesting thing about these stories really being the fact that more than one person witnessed the same thing. Because, you know, we always talk about that confirmation being important and we've got it right here.
0: I've got a very rogue suggestion about this story. I think that Jordan's grandmother actually had Lionel Richie in her basement. Just, <laughs> Just a suggestion. I don't know if that's true or not. I don't want to be making spurless claims about your grandmother, but she has Lionel Richie in her basement.
1: I mean, that is a good theory. He does I say, know. it's me, right? Yeah, he does. It's me you're looking for. That's the next line, right? Yeah. Yeah, maybe it is. <gasps> or it also could be
0: Adele. Could be. Yeah. Hello, it's me. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Dan's like, why? how could it be Adele? That's it's why I am Just running through it. Just running yeah.
1: through it. Yeah. Okay. I think the the voice in the basement is interesting and disturbing because grandmother gets a response back mm. which is very unusual and then it just stops and uh, never to be heard of again
0: i do i wonder sometimes in some of these stories like stories we've had recently if these entities or whatever make themselves known at times when the people need it or they want to communicate something to them or they want them to like not get hurt or they want to try and protect them and then they just they just don't need to be around again or they don't need to make themselves known again
1: there is also something about hello that we you know, it it can be said in so many different ways that we don't get from the written word. Like it could be like a hello question mark, it could yeah. be hello. I said, like, oi, looking good. It could um, be any kind of hello, couldn't so, it?
0: So uh, Lionel Richie is flirting yeah. with Jordan's grandmother.
1: Um it, the Ethan story though is a nope from me. Mm. Why is there a black eyed child inside your house?
0: Really strange. Really, really strange and yeah I don't I don't know what to really say about it because it's so awful it's so horrific and it's it's probably true that if you saw a version of somebody you love it would take you a little bit of time to recognize that something wasn't right about them you know so you'd be like oh there's Dan oh there's Dan looking very pale oh there's Dan with black eyes you know it would take a little bit of time to notice these things and story number two comes from Karen In 2014, following my divorce, my youngest children aged 14 and 11 and I moved into the upstairs of a large old house that had been converted into a duplex in a small central Minnesota town. I learned from my landlady that this was one of the first homes built in this town in approximately 1850. One block away was a huge old house that reportedly was the first hospital in the little town. This is not really related to my story at all, just a cool history of the area that I fancied as I am a nurse. I've always loved old buildings and old houses and loved to imagine the history of them. I was very excited about moving into a piece of history. I've always been open to and curious about the paranormal, but I'd never had any of my own experiences. So anyway, it was move-in day, August the 1st, and my 25-year-old daughter came to help the boys and me. She and I had, in the days previous, joked about the possibility of the house being haunted and how cool that would be. August the 1st was a hot, humid, oppressive Minnesota August day. It was only mid-morning and already over 90 degrees Fahrenheit. The humidity was horrible and you sweat just standing still, so you can just imagine how the four of us were sweating, carrying boxes up the one flight of stairs to our new home. I was trudging up the stairs with an armful of boxes for about the tenth time when I met my daughter coming down the stairs. She passed me, not looking at me, and said matter-of-factly, Well, I just saw your ghost, and kept walking down the stairs. I laughed and asked her what she saw, thinking she scared herself passing a mirror or something. She explained that she was walking down the hallway to drop boxes in the living room when she said she saw something or someone the size of about a 13 or 14-year-old girl floating from left to right and into my bedroom. She described it as transparent, wearing a dress, and she couldn't see the bottom third of the apparition. We both agreed not to mention this to the boys, and I secretly assumed that she was suffering from heatstroke. The rest of the move was uneventful, and the boys and I quickly settled in. A few weeks later, and it was the night before the first day of school, the boys were excited and screwing around, unable to get to sleep. I was frustrated with them, yelling at them several times that they were never going to be able to wake up on time tomorrow if they didn't go to sleep. I was sitting in the living room reading a book, and for about 30 minutes the boys had been quiet, and I was relieved that they were finally asleep. I continued reading, and a few minutes later in my periphery, I saw the 14 year old walk out of his room and across the hall into the kitchen. I set my book down and got up to scold him to send him back to bed, but when I walked into the kitchen there was nobody there. I thought he must have went back into his room while I was setting my book down and getting out of my chair, so I opened their bedroom door and looked into their room. They were both asleep. I stood there for about a minute to see if they were faking, but their deep, slow breathing and relaxed faces convinced me that they were really asleep. A couple of weeks later, Sean, the 11-year-old, was home alone while I was at my second job and the 14-year-old was at basketball practice. I got a phone call from Sean on my cell phone, and he was speaking quietly, and he said, I think there's somebody in the kitchen. I asked him what he meant, and he told me that there were dishes clinking together. I told him it was probably just the cats licking the dirty dishes in the sink and that he was fine. And he said, No, I have the cats with me locked in your bedroom. I ran out of work and rushed home. I was just a couple of blocks away. I quietly walked into the apartment and I didn't see or hear anything or anyone in the kitchen and searched the rest of the rooms. I found Sean sitting on the bed in my room and he said the noises stopped shortly after we had gotten off the phone. He didn't hear any doors closing like someone had left the apartment. He was pretty shook up but quickly just acted brave and laughed it off. Mind you, I had never said a word to them about what my daughter and I have seen. But I know 11-year-olds home alone in the dark can have active imaginations. Or it could have been a burglar who quickly realised he was in the house of a single mother who didn't have shit to steal, so he left. Shortly after this, I had the opportunity to speak with the landlady while dropping off the rent. I asked her if she had ever had anything weird happen to her in the house or had any other tenants complain of anything. She didn't make eye contact with me and looked like she was kind of trying to find the right words. I interjected. I don't mind. I'm not going to move out because of it. But I'm just wondering if I'm crazy. She went on to tell me how when she was alone in the apartment cleaning and painting in between tenants, she had had an experience once. While painting the kitchen, she needed to take a break and go to the bathroom. She set the paint roller down on the countertop to her left, but when she returned, the paint roller was on the right-sided countertop. Later that day, she stated that she was in the kitchen again, on her hands and knees scrubbing the floor. When she saw in her peripheral vision, shoes walk towards her and stop to stand behind her and to her right. She thought it was her husband returning from the errand she'd sent him on to the hardware store. She asked him a question and he didn't answer, so she turned to repeat the question but there was nobody there. He returned in the next few minutes and said that he had not come back early and had been at the hardware store the whole time. She too said she did not feel scared or threatened at the time. She went on to tell me what she knew of the history of the house. Like I said earlier, it was one of the first houses built in the growing little village. It was built by a well-to-do family who went on to raise their children there. Apparently, one of the daughters, Minnie, moved back and took up residence in the house with her husband, Monty. I don't know if Minnie and Monty died in the home or even lived there until their old age. I don't know if anyone ever died in the house. My sister and I tried to do some research on the property and the family who owned it, but didn't come up with anything except the location of Minnie and Monty's graves. So I went to the cemetery. According to their tombstones, Monty died first in 1986 and Minnie followed shortly afterwards in 1988. I spoke to Minnie while I was at her grave and said, Okay, Minnie, it appears we are sharing a house and I'm okay with that if you are. I promise to take good care of your house. I just ask you one thing please don't scare my boys. And then I added, just to be funny, Oh and don't be one of those ghosts that hide shit on me because I have a hard enough time with losing my shit on my own. The next day was Monday and the boys were with their dad for the whole week. I came home from work and went through my normal ritual. I headed into the bathroom to shower and set my ID badge on the bathroom sink like I do every other evening so I know where it is the next morning when I'm brushing my teeth because brushing my teeth is the last thing I do before I leave the house. I ate some dinner, watched TV and went to bed. I slept well and I woke up Tuesday morning to start my morning routine getting ready for work. The first thing I do every morning is make the coffee, obviously. As that is brewing, I get dressed, do my hair and makeup and lastly, like I said, I brush my teeth. So I was brushing my teeth on this particular morning when I went to reach for my badge and it wasn't there. Damn cats, I think. And start looking around on the floor, under the shower curtain, under the throw rug, under the toilet, in the cat's litter box, even digging in the cat's litter. What the hell? I didn't need this right now, I was already late. I knew I'd put it on the sink. I distinctly remembered putting it on the sink. I rushed to the rest of the house, looking everywhere else, every room, any odd place I may have set it down but no luck. I didn't have time to look for it anymore because I had to go and that evening after work I again tore the house apart trying to find my ID badge. I looked down the couch cushions under my bed in the dirty laundry, even going through the garbage in the garbage cans but with no luck. I needed my badge to enter the hospital where I work, and it was super inconvenient when he didn't have it. I ended up going to work again on Wednesday without my badge and ordered a new badge while at work that day reporting mine lost, which is not something the hospital likes to hear that there could be a key to the hospital floating around out in the community. The next day, Thursday, was my day off. I slept in and when I woke up, I went to the kitchen to make coffee. And wouldn't you know it, there is my badge lying nice as pie next to the coffee pot. I said out loud, very fucking funny, Minnie, we discussed this. I decided that I could tell the boys now. I thought maybe if they know who Minnie is... And that she is nice and won't hurt them, maybe they will feel like they have some control and wouldn't be scared. I tell them everything that has happened and take them to Minnie and Monty's grave to meet them. Months and months went by without a single incident, until one Saturday afternoon, the boys were with their dad again, and I was enjoying one of the first nice afternoons of spring. The sun was shining, and I had my bedroom windows open while I laid on my bed reading. I'd gone shopping and done laundry that morning, so it was time to relax. I'd been lying in my bed for quite a while reading when I heard three quick bangs in the kitchen, like something had fallen and bounced across the floor. Again, I blamed the cats. They probably knocked my dishes I'd washed that morning off the counter. I got up and went to the kitchen, but all I found is the bottle of maple syrup I'd just bought lying in the middle of the kitchen floor. But I had put all of the groceries away that morning, and this particular bottle had been put away in a floor-level cabinet, and the cabinet doors had been closed. The only way that full bottle of syrup could have travelled the four or five feet that it did was for somebody to forcibly throw it across the floor. Not to mention opening the cabinet door first, and there was not gravity to help as the cabinet was only two or three inches off the ground. And that was it. No more unexplained happenings. We moved out a few months later for unrelated reasons, mainly cheaper rent. And I will admit I was sad to leave Minnie behind. Before we left, I told her that she could cross over if she wanted and she didn't have to stay here or she could follow us to our next apartment. But I've never had another paranormal experience since. By the way, it may be worth noting that I grew up in a house that had been built in 1875 and I had never experienced anything there, which to me adds credence to my experience at Minnie's house. I sure hope she is happy wherever she is now, and I love telling her story to people who tell me that they don't believe in ghosts. Since writing this and finishing Binging Your Podcast, I've actually been reminded of a couple of more incidents that I've had, but I just never really think about them. One being when I was working in a nursing home at my first job as a nurse. While attending to the resident in her bed, the water in her sink turned on by itself. We both stopped and stared. I'm ashamed to say I finished doing whatever I was doing with her, shut off the water and got the fuck out of there, leaving the poor little old lady in there by herself.
1: This apartment, the haunting, seems very much focused around the kitchen, doesn't it? Like it's almost exclusively going on in the kitchen.
0: Oh, that's a good point, actually. I hadn't really considered that. Oh, very good point.
1: I've only saying that because I've noticed from the notes that I'm taking that I've written the word kitchen about 12 times. So I can only <laughs> presume <laughs> that that is the case. I think this is very interesting. I got really freaked out because it's about the shoes. Because I pictured like a pair of shoes walking with no legs. Oh. I, I don't think that's what Karen meant. No. <laughs> that's what I pictured in my head was just a pair of shoes walking. Because that would be really creepy, right? If you just saw a pair of shoes with no legs and them walking towards you.
0: There was a really famous ghost story from many years ago and I can't remember if it was from a mining shaft or like an underground train station. But when they used to have, you know, those um, almost like dumb waiters, those kind of elevator systems and a man was working nights and he made an official call that there were shoes dancing. It was a coal belt. There were shoes dancing on the coal belt and he could see the shoes. The, at first, that was all he could see and there was just a pair of shoes dancing in the middle of the night and he was like no i'm fucking out of here and then eventually he could see the legs and then he could see the the kind of upper body but he could never see the head and yeah, it was no 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 i can't remember where that story was from but it was definitely a cold shoot um but it was uh it was a great story i remember reading it when i
1: was a kid we've got another similarity here with the previous story as well and that it's uh a child ghost well they see a child that's not actually the child it's just something
0: weird. Yeah, it's really weird And the similarities don't stop there today for today's stories, as you'll see coming up.
1: Really? Yeah. Oh, my gosh.
0: It's one of those days. It's one of those synchronicity days. And it's very, very strange. But uh, yeah, like really, I don't understand how Karen can say, if you want to come with us to our next house, feel free. (laughs) I'd be like, Minnie, you stay here, okay? This is where you belong. Stay here. Don't you follow me. No, no. I don't care how nice you are. If you don't care if you're a nice little old lady, you're not following me anywhere.
1: I feel like she's really particular about her kitchen, Minnie, and that's why there's so much stuff centered around the kitchen. Because she's just like, what are you doing? Like, why are you, why have you brought maple syrup into our house? How dare you? And she throws it on the floor.
0: Yeah, this particular brand, this isn't the brand of maple syrup that we like. <laughs> and story number three comes from Mel. And just before we start this story, I want to give a little bit of a warning that there is conversation about infant death in this story. It began like any ordinary day. I dropped my eldest son to school, came home with my two-year-old son, and began the torturous task of folding laundry. My son had gone off into his bedroom and began playing with his toy cars on the road map mat that laid alongside his bed. I knew this because I could hear him making the vroom, screech, crash sounds that most young children make when they're playing with their toy cars. I continued with the housework when the noises from his bedroom suddenly stopped. I figured that he had given up on his cars and must have been drawing a picture or something. Anyway, about five minutes passed and I heard my son say, Here, you can have this one. Now, my son has never had an imaginary friend, and nor is he the type to make-believe and have made-up conversations. I walked into his room, saw him sitting on his floor amongst his toy cars, staring straight ahead in a daze. He didn't look scared, but more like he was concentrating on something, or someone. I asked him, who are you talking to? He looked up at me and he said, my friend, we're playing together. I said, that's nice, quietly entertaining a dropkick if only we had stairs. What does your friend look like? He's a boy just like me, my son replied. I was about to walk out and erase the conversation from memory when I noticed that there was a small area in amongst his scattered cars that was bare. The area was about as small as the room that was needed by a small child to sit cross-legged just as my son was. Believing that he had an imaginary friend, I asked him, What's your friend's name? My son looked up at me and smiled and said, His name is Ethan, and he says that you need to tell his mum that he is happy. And then he looked back at the empty space in front of him, grinned and kept playing happily. I smiled and told my son that I would pass on the message and walked back into the lounge room. Now, at first, I didn't really think that much of what my son had said. Until it dawned on me. Ethan. He said his friend's name was Ethan. Almost nine months to the day before my son was born, my partner's cousin had given birth to twin boys. But sadly, one of the boys only survived for a few hours before passing away due to serious health complications. That baby boy was named Ethan. Nobody in the family really talked about what happened to Ethan, as everyone has their own way of dealing with grief. I know that no one ever told my son, and even if they had, I don't think he would have remembered anyway. After much deliberation, I decided to pass on the message to Ethan's mother, not knowing if it would do more harm than good. Not everybody believes in this type of thing, and I wasn't too sure that she'd ever speak to us again. I visited her and explained what had happened. I told her that Ethan said that he is happy now and that he wanted you to know. Tears welled in her eyes and she hugged me. She said she really needed to hear that he was happy. That was four years ago. And although my son hasn't mentioned Ethan since, I still smile at the thought every time I take laundry into that bedroom. How weird is it that that's another Ethan? That's two Ethan's in one episode.
1: It's very synchronicity.
0: I know that Ethan is a relatively common name, right? It is, but that's very strange. Two Ethan's one episode.
1: Now I fully understand that this is obviously something that is brought reassurance to the person, and it's a lovely story. It's still a child speaking to a child ghost, and I, 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 I can't handle it.
0: <laughs> I know, and it's it's. <laughs> and I do understand as well so I agree with you actually I understand that this brings this this obviously brought a great amount of comfort to a grieving mother very difficult situation and I understand what Mel said like that conversation could have gone either way you know if you go to say to somebody oh I think my son was talking to your child who has passed away like they somebody could take that really badly and be like you're inappropriate or you're you know you're mad or whatever Um, but it brought her a lot of comfort and I think that's that's really lovely, but also very scary.
1: <laughs> it's really scary because there's a child ghost and there's a child talking to someone that we can't see, and that is always a scary thing for me. I know, I know that's not the point of this story, but it is very scary.
0: It's really scary, and I don't think children when they're that young have that much of a concept of death or what death really means. I just and that and then to say the message, oh, that's Ethan. He wants you to tell his mummy that he's okay. That's not just, I'm playing with my friend Ethan, because maybe he heard the name Ethan. You know, in, you, don't, you never know how much kids pick up. But the message itself is very specific. So, I don't know. It's very scary.
1: It's very scary.
0: And story number four comes from Stephanie. I have had many, many paranormal experiences. But there are two that stand out in particular. My first ever experience, and one in a hotel. The first time i was around 13 and can still remember everything as clear as i did almost 10 years later i don't know when the first one appeared i first noticed a feeling of heaviness and almost impending doom in my bedroom which got slightly more intense and then one night i saw him a man with a hat in the corner of my room he wore a long dark coat a black brimmed hat and had dark skin with no facial features. Through all of this, he seemed to blend into one shadowy mass, and when I noticed him, he looked at me, and started pacing the wall in front of me. I think I fainted from fright, and this experience happened every night for two weeks until I told my dad. During this two-week period, two more spirits appeared. A little boy, blonde, around three years old, and I just knew for some reason that his name was Christopher. He had a light aura and he didn't frighten me. He used to watch me from the corner of the stairs, going to the third floor of my house, which looked into my room. His mother soon showed up. She was dark and evil and I knew instantly. She stood in the corner of my back wall facing the man in the hat, but her eyes never left me. Which is what it felt like but she too was also a featureless dark black mass. When I told my dad, he agreed to have a look and I showed him the places where I kept seeing them. When he stood in the corner, his hair stood on end and he felt a massive drop in temperature. He said a few prayers, blessed the room with holy water and that was that. That night I saw Christopher was still there on the stairs looking at me and into my bedroom, but the man and the mother was gone. I was laying on my side in bed and starting to drift off and that was when I felt the same feeling of heaviness and lingering evil. Something was right behind me. Then I felt it. A hand placed itself on the back of my neck. A large hand. Though it didn't feel like it was covered in skin, it felt like its palm was covered in fur and static. It was there. I felt the heat from it. I felt the muscle under the fur, and it started to grip harder when I took a sharp breath of air and continued to grip tighter every time I took a noticeable deep breath. I lay there frozen in fear, with this hand gripping me for what felt like hours, until I finally mustered up the courage to let out a gut-wrenching scream, and I started to thrash about to get this thing off me which was now holding me down. My parents came rushing down the stairs from their room above mine to see me thrashing and screaming and bawling my eyes out. But nothing else. On the back of my neck there was a visible red mark where a hand had gripped me. After this we got our pastor to come and bless the whole house. I've since had some other spirits visit my room but nothing ever as evil or as terrifying as my first encounter of them. For my second experience I was visiting family in California for a few weeks and we all took a road trip from Sacramento to Los Angeles. We stayed in Marina del Rey with my two cousins and aunt and uncle. I didn't know it at the time but my aunt was very spiritually aware and saw spirits all the time as well. We got our rooms and a few minutes later got a call from my aunt to ask if we could swap rooms. As soon as I stepped into the new room I knew we weren't wanted in there. That night I was struggling to get to sleep as I got severely sunburned being the pale Irish girl that I am. The feeling of not feeling welcome didn't help either. At three o'clock on the dot the wardrobe door in front of me slowly creaked open. A black mass of a woman walked out and came towards the end of my bed until she vaporised, maybe half an hour later. I'm not ashamed to say that for the rest of the trip I slept at the foot of my parents' bed, curled up and wrapped in covers tightly. I now get why my aunt wanted to swap rooms, because she felt her presence
1: too. Jeepers, that is some kind of induction into the ghostly world of ghostly goings-on, isn't it? No sort of tame, like, oh, here's a spectre or some orbs or something. Nope, here is a furry-handed monster that's going to grab you in the night and pin you down. That is hardcore.
0: I don't know if the fur was literal though. I thought, it was, I thought it was a way of describing like the static of the hand. Does that make sense?
1: I'm pretty sure you're correct. However, for the sake of my narrative. It was, was a, a wolf man. It was a wolf man. Because we know it's not Bigfoot because Bigfoot isn't evil. A very well-dressed werewolf. That's what it was. But I mean, my point, regardless of whether it had fur or not, my point still stands. That is some dramatic induction into the world of meeting spirits, is it not?
0: Mm, knocking, that is not, you know. You'd kind of, you would, you, like, like any good horror film, you'd want it to start small and then amp up to the neck grabbing. But no, we started with the neck grabbing. Not good, not good at all.
1: Maybe it was the universe's way of preparing Stephanie for future sightings. Maybe. Because anything she sees or experiences from that point on is probably going to be a little less intimidating. So if, you know, she is, I say lucky with inverted quotes because I don't think it is lucky, but if she is lucky enough to be very spiritually aware and notice these things, then it's preparing her for the world that is coming her way.
0: Whether she likes it or not. That sounded really threatening. It's preparing her for what's coming next.
1: (laughs) Which evidently was the womanly mass that floated out of her womanly mass why does that sound so weird they floated out of her wardrobe
0: I mean I just it's just all awful really isn't it it's just awful there's no other way to put it we haven't had a Hatman story in a while he's back with a bang we hate him
1: and furry hands
0: everything's awful
1: oh kudos to the to the aunt for clocking the evil spirit and then going oh yeah do you want to swap rooms
0: <laughs> I would 100% do the same thing and I would have no guilt about it I wouldn't think twice about it I'd be like throwing everybody under the bus to get a good night's sleep and story number five comes from anonymous this story is not mine but one that i think is important to share it comes from a friend of a friend i think it's also important that i change the names of the people involved for two reasons one because the friends in this story were so rattled by the events and two because the story leaves us with unanswered questions Let's start by calling the main person in the story, or the person anchoring all the relationships, Jane. Jane lived just outside Dundee on her own. She was working for a large American tech firm who had recently set up a European hub in Dundee, which of course suited Jane, as IT or tech was her area of expertise, and also it was luckily her hometown. She had not long finished university, and it was her first job as a graduate. Jane had a friend on one of the remote western islands of Scotland, and her name was Bridget. Bridget had been working as part of an ecological research project that had been funded by the University of Glasgow, and she'd been living in a croft there for a year. The project was due to run for seven years in total, so Bridget had given a massive commitment to living as part of a remote community in what could be described, at times, as harsh conditions. Jane and Bridget had been close friends as undergraduate students in Edinburgh. Jane hadn't seen Bridget since graduation as Jane had moved back to her home city of Dundee and Bridget very briefly back to Derry before she began her research work. They'd kept in contact via text and email and would often FaceTime. Bridget had kept nagging Jane to come and visit the island, but it was never the right time, there was work stuff and life seemed to get in the way. Until eventually, Jane finally agreed to visit and they set a long weekend aside at the end of summer for the long-awaited reunion of friends. Jane had another friend, a newer friend, one she had only recently met at work and her name was Marianne. Marianne also lived alone and they would often go for drinks together after work or go out clubbing at the weekends. Jane hadn't fancied the long drive to Oban or catching the ferry on her own to see Bridget. So she wondered if Mary Ann might fancy coming to the Western Isles too for the long weekend. There, she could introduce her to her other best friend, Bridget. Mary Ann was so up for it, and Jane contacted Bridget just to check it was okay. The more the merrier. They set off in Jane's car on a warm day in August. They left Dundee early and made the ferry in Oban in good time. They spent a few hours on the boat and soon were pulling into the small island harbour. Bridget had given Jane very detailed, particular directions on how to find the croft, and in no time they spotted the bright red roof of Bridget's croft on top of the hill. As they had travelled in the car from Dundee, Jane had been filling Mary Ann in on all the stories about the character Bridget was at uni and how her wild Irish charm had drawn her in at the outset of first year. How they had been best friends all through college, how Bridget had taught her how to roll cigarettes, read tea leaves and also how to meditate. Also that Bridget was a very spiritual person and also a kind of pseudo clairvoyant, an earthy guru type who had connections with the spirit world. Marianne couldn't wait to meet her. At the croft, after Bridget had given them the tour and showed them their sleeping arrangements, she laughed nervously and told them that there was a ghost in the house and not to worry because it was a friendly old woman. She said that the old woman and her family clan had lived in the cottage for generations, but only ever let herself be known in subtle ways, and they probably wouldn't even notice her anyway. Jane began to laugh, and told Marianne to ignore Bridget. They popped open the wine, finished the bottle, and then walked down to a local pub for a bite to eat and some drinks. They stayed for a few hours, and decided to walk home for some more wine and a sing-song. Later became later, and the night was dragging on. Jane, who was sitting by the fire, suddenly let out a huge gasp and pointed to the staircase directly behind Mary Ann. From the stairwell and into the living room moved a dark black entity that almost reached the ceiling. It moved slowly and pulsated. "'leaving an almost low-frequency static sound. "'It moved outward towards the open-plan kitchen area "'and was gone in a matter of minutes. "'They were all rooted in position "'and waited statuesque until the entity had gone. "'As they began to breathe and ask questions "'about what they had just seen, "'Bridget told them not to worry. "'It was just the old lady letting them know of her presence "'and that she meant no harm. "'This seemed to puncture the tension,' ...and disarmed the collective anxiety in the room... ...and they soon moved from heavy panting breaths to laughter. Full of wine and with the waning adrenaline... ...they all decided to retire to bed... ...and agreed that they would talk again at breakfast. Bridget once again reassured them... ...and they bid each other good night. The weekend was a great success... ...and before they knew it... ...it was time for Jane and Marianne... ...to leave on the Monday tea time ferry. They had referred to the ghost incident... ...over the course of the weekend and it had become a source of hilarity, if anything. Jane and Mary Ann were soon on the road and on to the ferry, then the further drive on the mainland. It seemed to last a lot longer than the opposite journey at the start of their adventure, but that is always the case. It was the middle of the night when Jane dropped Mary Ann off at her flat, and Jane couldn't wait to get home and into her pyjamas. When she got home, she checked on the cat, the neighbour had been looking after him, put on her pyjamas, brushed her teeth and quickly went to her landline answer machine to check for messages. She had had a message from Bridget back on the island that had come through not long after the pair had left on the boat. On the message, Bridget spoke very sternly and conveyed the following message. Hi, it's Bridget, call me back when you get this. Remember when the ghost of the old lady travelled through the living room on Friday night? Well, it wasn't the old lady at all. When you guys pulled up in the car when you got here on Friday, I noticed a black shadow at your friend Mary Ann's back. The shadow was with her the whole weekend and never left her side. It wasn't my place to ask her about it, and besides, I didn't want it to latch on to me or my house. It's not a very good entity at all. In fact, it's terrifyingly evil, and I suggest your friend sees a priest. I heard the story secondhand. And I don't know if mary Ann ever did see a priest.
1: Imagine getting that phone call. No, I can't even, I can't, oh, no.
0: Just gives me the heebie-jeebies. Gives me the heebie-jeebies. Does that mean, right, that spiritual clairvoyant people, say if they're bopping around in their day-to-day life and they see somebody in the street with a black shadow, like following behind them or attached to them or whatever, that isn't their normal shadow? just to clarify <laughs> i'm aware of what shadows are um but imagine like how do, oh my gosh it's just it
1: i'm just i'm just putting this out there right now if you are one of these people and you happen to see me and you notice this shadow don't tell me about it because i'm, I'm unaware at the moment and i'm doing good
0: yeah please don't tell me about it because my life will be plagued then worrying about shadows and that's we don't need to worry about shadows on top of everything else we have to worry about on a day-to-day basis
1: I was just, I have to say, all the way through the story, right up until the end, I was like, okay, so, like, it is a bit odd to see, like, a giant black figure that pulsates and makes a noise, like, I get that, but I was like, what has terrified them to the point that they don't want to talk about it, and then it was like, boom, bombshell at the end, oh yeah, by the way, no It way.
0: wasn't the little old lady, and I do, I have to say, I did think when I was reading this, I was like, God, it doesn't sound, sound slightly more threatening than a little old lady, a big black staticky mass. That's like making a low humming sound. I, I I would find that more terrifying than thinking it was the ghost of an old lady.
1: If you're Jane and you've just received that phone call from Bridget, what do you do? Because I, I wouldn't want to be the one that tells my friend that they've got a black mass following them around.
0: I'd, I'd love the drama. So I'd be fine with it. And besides, I'd be like, look, I'm only passing on a message. Okay, don't shoot the messenger. Just because you're possessed and I'm not. It's not my problem. I'm just giving you some helpful criticism, okay? Some friendly critique of your possession status.
1: <laughs> I think for the amount of time that it took to, tell- to give the conclusion of that story, it's probably the most hegebious to minutes ratio that we've had for a while. Like We've had as hijibi stories, long ones, but in terms of ratio, whoa.
0: If you enjoyed today's episode, you can find everything you need to know about us on reallifeghoststoriespodcast.com. You can submit your own spooky story to reallifeghoststoriespodcast at gmail.com. You can also support us on Patreon if you wish. That is patreon.com forward slash stories, where for $5 a month or $2 a month, you get access to loads and loads and loads of extra content. And on that note, we shall see you next week. Bye.